Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are here together in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio getting ready to record episode number 246. Got a really good show lined up for you this week. We're going to have a lot of really fun talking about our warm-up segment, which includes the City of the Week, Player of the Week, Equipment Tip of the Week, have a strong Did You Know and a really fun listener question, and of course, Paige's Power Play. In our lead-off segment, we're going to talk about some recruiting stuff. Had a couple of requests from listeners with some very specific questions. We're going to get into those and answer those questions for you. In our cleanup topic, I've got kind of a uh, hot take I'm going to share with everybody, something that I'm uh, going to throw out there as an observation from an old man that's been around this game for a long time. And then we're going to wrap up with this week's uh, edition of the Action Coach Coaching Tip of the Week. So, Don, before we get into all those fun topics, let's talk about the Anderson Bad Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest bat technology to corner the market in the fast pitch world. They have the minus 9 rocket tech, the minus 10 carbon, and the minus 11 carbon light. Anderson Bat Company is using this technology to put a high-performing bat in the hands of hitters that really know the difference between a good bat and a great bat. We're also working with Anderson to provide a discount for all of our listeners. Go to the Anderson Bat Company website and order your bats. Use the EFP20 discount, which is for everything fast pitch, and you'll get a 20% discount. It's a great way for you to save a little bit of money on a great bat and also help support everything fast pitch at the same time. If anybody's got any questions about what's going on with Anderson, go back to last week's episode. Tristan Hildebrandt from Anderson was with us, and we had a really fun conversation talking about the future and, and things that they've got going on. Also, let's talk about patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. If you're in a position that you can help support us, if you can come on board and become a patron, Coach Don and I desperately need the help. Uh, we're very proud to have the group of hardcore patrons that we've had that have kept the wheels spinning, and it's been very exciting this last six, seven months. We've added a, a pretty good list of people to the patron list. Uh, but we definitely need more help. We would love to see the trend continuing in the positive direction. I know we've been talking about this for a long time now. We are still operating in the red. The number in the red has gotten smaller, uh, but we have a, a date out there on the horizon that if we don't see that turnaround, that uh, unfortunately we're just going to have to uh, make some decisions, some tough decisions about the, the future of the podcast. So if you're in a position where you can, please come on board and become a patron. We also want to say congratulations to one of our patrons, DJ Conroy. DJ, you are this week's Pinnacle Power product winner. Um, you'll be getting some Pinnacle Power product sent to you, and uh, I hope that uh, you and the family enjoy it. So, Don, let's talk about our warm-up segment. Our warm-up segment is sponsored by Bidinger & Styles DDS. They're located in Webster, Mass. If you're anywhere in the Webster, Mass area and have any dental needs, reach out to the folks at Bidinger & Styles. Um, they are really strong supporters of this podcast, very big in the travel ball, softball world, and we would love for you to support them if you can and let them know that you heard about them on the podcast would be greatly appreciated. So Don, instead of a city of the week this week, we have a country of the week. We're going to say a big shout out to Australia. That's kind of exciting. That's a little different. And uh, I guess uh, through these computer channels, anybody can listen, right? Right. Well, one of the things, you know, we, we, we keep talking about how you know, when we started doing the podcast, neither one of us had any idea what this really was and what it uh, meant and, and the kind of reach that it had. And I always thought of it as something more like a, a like a local radio show. Station, right, right. But then when you see that we have listeners all around the world, people from all over the country, you, uh, you start to understand that the reach is much greater. Um, the fact that the podcasts stay in the archives and people can have access to 
old information and, and past cool. episodes is really cool. Obviously, Australia is a softball country. They play the game really, really high level, have had uh, success at the international level, have sent a lot of players to the United States to play in American colleges and, and uh, some very impactful players over the years. And so um, it's exciting to us to see the numbers in Australia shooting up the way they are. Unfortunately, neither one of us has Australian background, so we're not at risk to have to sing the Australian national anthem. But if we can get a few more Canadians on board, uh, we'd like to get Don to uh, sing that Canadian national anthem before the end of the year. Let's give it a try. We, we would love to see that. But uh, please ask your friends, people that you know are not listening yet, to give us a shot. Listen to an episode of Everything Fast Pitch or Coach Prep. Uh, I've said this a ton of times. I'm confident that if they listen, they're going to keep coming back. Cause There's I something know, for everybody. In yeah. Because yeah. Yeah, I know we're looking at the numbers of past episodes going up, that that's people that are discovering us. And so it's nice that people can search and come up with us, but the reality is the vast majority of new listeners are people that are given the tip, given the you know the information from somebody that they know. So congratulations, Australia. You're the country of the week. Our player of the week this week, Don, is Maddie Highnote. And this is one of those stories that if you coach long enough, you deal with something similar to this or something, some version of this. Maddie was uh, nominated by her coach, Joe Socher, and they played for the Santa Fe Inferno team in, in Florida. And uh, had one of those nightmare situations where Maddie suffered um, a very unusual, very strange injury that they didn't really understand the severity of at the time. Mm. Ended up having to be life flighted from the field and spent several days in the hospital. And she's she's on her way to recovery. She's on her way to you know to to being back out on the softball field sooner than later. But it was one of those stories that really pulled at my heartstrings because you know I can remember you know the totally helpless feeling you have as a coach when you see somebody that you really care about get injured really or, yeah. really getting hurt and not, and obviously you know anytime you see one of the players in pain it's it's a difficult thing but when it's something that could potentially be life altering really serious you know when ambulances and life flight type things are involved you know it's uh, it's a really scary thing part of the reason that uh, coach Socher wanted us to talk about Maddie's situation was also the reaction that her teammates had upon her injury it ended up being one of those rallying cries, one of those things that uh, everybody wanted to you know, win the tournament in her respect to show that uh, you know, they were going to carry on in, in her absence um, and do a really good job. Ended up ultimately winning the tournament you know, kind of with a heavy heart at the same time because while they were out there winning the tournament, you know, nobody knew for sure the severity of the injuries or, or how, how long the recovery might be. Good news uh, that uh, everything's on the mend and, and headed in the right direction. Uh, but something for all of our, our coaching friends and, and parents to always be aware of that, you know, this is something that can happen at any time, any place. Unfortunately, um, in this situation, Maddie was able to get the right kind of care and, and get the, the attention that she needed. Um, but it was kind of heartwarming to see her team rally around her the way they did and, and to uh, end up uh, overcoming the heartache and the, and the distraction and be able to continue to play the game really well. So Super. congratulations, Maddie. High note. You are the Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week. So, Don, equipment tip of the week. Let's talk about square cuts. Square cuts, training discs. They've been great. Um, again, I think that we might be right on that edge of being able to get them out to everybody before Christmas, but um, it's a, a have-to for everyone that's into fast pitch softball. Um, it's something that you will use. There's no doubt about right. it. You'll, you'll get your use out of them both at home and or at the field. And it's just a, a product that uh, it's kind of exciting because it's different. Right. And everybody that sees it pretty curious about, you know, what it is, how we can use it. And um, it's been durable. It's just been a really good product. It's something you're not going to see in the stores. 
So you got to get it, get it here, get it right. where you can. Well, the uh, way you order them is you go to the fastpitchprep.com website. There's an order button on the main page. It'll take you through the steps. You know, and, and Don mentioned, you know, when we designed it, we designed it as a hitting tool for fast pitch softball. And we're finding out that people are using it for a lot of other things. And, and Don, you've mentioned in the past that the baseball players like hitting them too because it's something that they can Absolutely. hit on the tee and still feel clean contact. Whereas if you put a baseball in most tees, if you hit the baseball on the button, you're hitting the tee every single time. You're jiggling the tee because of the, si- the width of the bat. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, combination of the softball size of the, of the square cuts makes the baseball players love hitting them too. And so it's Absolutely. something that crosses over the, the gender lines of baseball and softball. It's a great tool, forty nine ninety five a dozen. They last a really long time, um, and you're going to get a lot of uh, use out of them. Uh, if you go to our website at uh, fastpitchprep.com, you can go to the YouTube channel. There's a couple of short videos that kind of give you a little uh, tutorial on, on ways that you can use them as a hitting tool, and we would love for you to get them. So go to the fastpitchprep.com website, get them ordered up, and we'll get them shipped to you right away. So, Don, did you know... Jocelyn Allo, a player we've talked about a lot, that uh, right. uh, the all-time NCAA home run home hitter runs, yeah. and uh, record-setting player from University of Oklahoma, was named the Sports Illustrated Female Athlete of the Year, and that's Very an cool. amazing yeah. honor when you think about it because she's uh, you know being selected over basketball, volleyball, tennis track, and, tennis, yeah. you know the the whole nine yards, and to be. Uh, recognized as the female athlete of the year is a pretty amazing thing. The other thing that came out a little bit ago that we didn't talk about kind of ties into something we have talked about in the past. She's also now going to be continuing her professional career for the Oklahoma City Spark. And we've talked about how one of the solutions we've suggested to make pro fast pitch something that uh, people can rally around a little bit more is to come up with a system where you have more local players playing on teams. And so, you know, we talked about the Atlanta area. If we had an Atlanta franchise, if you stocked that team with mostly University of Georgia, Georgia Tech, Georgia State, Kennesaw State, you know, players from around this area, and there's an amazing pool of talent to choose from. Because we'd already be familiar with them, right? right? That people would yeah. want to support it. And so I think that, you know, to see that uh, uh, Jocelyn Allo is going to be continuing her pro career just down the road from where she had such an amazing collegiate career, might mean that that idea is gaining a little bit of momentum. I don't know that they're going to go for the whole... All local. All, yeah, the, yeah, the mostly local, because I think that uh, the reality of it is there's some parts of the country where they would want to have teams that they might not have the same overwhelming pool of talent that some places have to draw from. But it was something I just thought was really interesting. So we wanted to say congratulations to Jocelyn Allo for that amazing uh, recognition. Um, and it's a cool thing for all of us that love fast pitch because it shows that our game is definitely in the national spotlight and people are really paying attention when some, when somebody does something amazing. I was going to say, that's a really a pretty big deal, the uh, Sports Illustrated piece, because yeah. uh, there are so many great female athletes right. doing amazing things, but to get that recognition for softball is awesome. Right, and, and, and she's being selected over a lot of other players that, amazing. Uh, that are also athletes. doing amazing things. Yep. So, so down our listener question this week comes to us from Dana. And Dana's question is, is it illegal to roll or alter your bats? Wow. So, Tori, this is something that it doesn't happen all the time, conversation about it. But, you know, it does come up in in some of our conversations here at the batting cage. And um, the whole concept of the bats being certified and, and being regulated, I think, is in an effort to keep things safe for, you know, for kids. Right. And when we go and alter bats, shave bats, they talk about shaving them, um, rolling them is the easier one. 
creates a situation where the the exit speed or exit velocity off the bats is greater than what we feel is safe for the kids. And if somebody was to you know have their bat uh, altered that way in a subsequent game after that, a ball gets hit and it is hit so hard it hits a shortstop in the forehead. Right. And they're in that same situation where we're you know having an emergency scenario yep. to get them help. I think that everybody would be sickened over it. So. You know, again, anytime we talk about it, I kind of throw that up there. What, well, how, how is somebody going to feel when you injure one of the kids we're playing with? You know, and that kind of, the light bulb goes off and it's like, oh, yeah, you know, that wouldn't be good. You know, we have enough injury as it is just with, uh, you know, the competitive bats that they have right. on the market right now. So, again, I just, I would totally steer clear of it. Right. Well, any and to answer Dana's game. question, well, let, let's break it down into a couple of pieces. First off, every sanction I'm aware of, every rule book I think that ever has been written about this game blatantly says that it's illegal to alter the bats in any way. The argument that people want to come up with with rolling, and ro rolling is basically a process that speeds Speeding up the break-in process. Yeah. So, you know, technically, the same thing that happens when you roll a bat will happen over time with a regular bat. Eventually, that composite bat should get broken into the point where it would have the same performance characteristics that a rolled bat does. The difference is that the rolled bat means that it's at the hottest it's ever going to be the first swing a kid takes until it breaks. There is no break-in period. It's coming you know, out of the rolling machine totally broken in and, and, and ready to go. The reality of it is that rolling is hard to prove because it does not alter the basic makeup of the bat. Physical. Um, shaving is something that was a really big thing for a while. People were doing it. And some of the bat companies now have come up with a, a system where they mark the inside of the bats when they manufacture them so that if somebody did shave it, uh, there would be evidence of it. You'd be able to tell because they didn't want the liability of somebody getting one killed our, or, or maimed bats did this, with, a, right? with a bat that went to a lawsuit kind of a situation that they'd be able to say, well, here, you know, this bat's clearly been altered yep. because these logos that are supposed to be on the inside have been cut away, they've been shaved away, and there's no way that those would wear off internally inside the bat on their own. So if, the, uh, if that uh, fine print, so to speak, is gone from the inside of the barrel, it's because somebody definitely shaved the bat. You know, Don, I think you touched on the, the moral question, but it's something that I think is always going to be worth contemplating because, you know, as things unfold, we see people doing a lot of different things to try to get some sort of competitive advantage. You know, when you're selling a bat, you know, when I would sit at the trailer at the tournaments and people would come up to the bat uh, rack and the only question that everybody asked was, what's the hottest bat? Right. Nobody ever said, what's the most legal bat? What's the bat that's going to perform really well but not break any rules? You know, what's the bat that my daughter can have really you know, consistent success with but not be at the risk of hurting anybody? And, and to the point where with you know, some bats that one organization or one level of play might deem it to be too hot or to be illegal, but you can still see it in play at other places. You, you, you used to see that in the travel ball world all the time. That bats, were, yeah. right, that bats were illegal for NCAA play mm -hmm. were still out there in travel ball tournaments because the travel ball testing and standards Hadn't were a little bit different. Point, right? yeah. The answer to the question is shaving, rolling, they're all illegal. 
you know, the argument that rolling isn't really doing anything that wouldn't happen over time is to me kind of a shady gray area kind of thing. So we could roll a 10 year old's bat, then, you know, they right. might, yeah. The reality of it is, and you and I both know this is true, that, that for every logical person that would listen to this and say, well, I would never want somebody to get hurt. There's an illogical person out there going, you know, it's up to that kid to protect themselves. I'm going to give my kid every chance I can to be as successful as possible. And if that means a rolled bat or a shaved bat or a, not, you know, a not a, worth it, a 15 year old bat that doesn't uh, you know, pass the standards, but you know, it falls into a loophole that, you know, we can still use it. And so I think that, you know, we have to always be aware of it, but uh, Dana, to answer your question, it is illegal. And whether teams are actively doing it or not, I think that's for each group to police themselves. Uh, But I would be very skeptical and be dubious of people that are going to that level to try to get some sort of an advantage. With that same thought, Tori, what do you think about uh, when you see groups that everybody uses the exact same bat? Everybody that goes up there uses the same bat. Right. Is that kind of a tell-on that that one's special? Well, it, it... yeah, no, it, I think it definitely means that it's special. Now, whether it's special because somebody did something nefarious right. or it's just special because it's finally <laughs> been hit so much that it's really broken and well. You know, we had a situation a few years ago um, when I was coaching at Tennessee Tech that you know, our best hitter having an amazing year and we got to the conference tournament and two or three of her teammates kind of talked her into Let letting me. them use her bat because they wanted to finish the season strong and, and the bat was so broken in. It was like right on that edge uh, to the point that in the last game that we played in the tournament, the bat broke because it was right there at the, you know, it had been broken into the point so much. It was performing at such a high level. And of course, then the player whose bat it was and her, her, her usual bat was frustrated because she probably could have gotten through the tournament if, if she had only been the one using it on her own, but because she let two or three of her teammates use it, it ended up being, being just enough to push it over the edge. So yeah, it always makes me wonder when the same bat gets handed from kid to kid to kid to kid. <laughs> right. Um, you know what what might be going on. And again, you know the, the rules are in, in place for a reason. You know, you know, not that long ago we played in the wild wild west when you know you could pretty much play with whatever you showed up with, and it was because of the potential for injury and stuff like that. That, that it's just you know, not worth it. Right. Yeah. So Dana, thank you very much. If you have a question or a player of the week nomination, we would love for you to reach out to us at everythingfastpitch at gmail or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. Either one of those email addresses will work. Um, And we love having the questions. We have a lot of topics today that we're talking about that uh, were delivered to us from listener questions. So we really do appreciate it. And Dana, thank you very much. So Don, that takes us to this week's edition of Paige's Power Play. Hey, it's Paige here. And I am getting so excited because it's almost that time of year to do the Vision Board Workshop. So... If you are ready to get your athlete motivated for the upcoming year, I have the ticket for you. It is that 2023 vision board workshop. This workshop is always, always, always a fan favorite, but here's why it's, I I believe it's so important for your athlete, for your daughter, because I firmly believe that when we think about our goals, when we write them down and we visualize them, they are way more likely to happen. So Get your daughter to go grab the magazine cutouts, the markers, the glitter, the glue, the scissors. Grab all the things to make your vision board something that you are eager to look at every day. And join us Saturday, January 7th, the first week of January at 9 a.m. Arizona time. That's 9 a.m. Mountain time. 
we are going to be reflecting on last year. We are going to be doing some dreaming. We are going to set goals for 2023. We're going to be doing some journaling, some visualizing, and also, of course, creating a 2023 vision board. Your athlete will walk away from this workshop feeling way more motivated, excited for 2023, and knowing exactly what she wants to go after this year. And the most crucial part is how I'm going to be teaching how to believe that she can accomplish the goals that she sets, like how to actually believe in those. I'm super excited about the workshop. I hope that your athlete joins and I hope to see her there. All right. I say it every week, folks. Paige is a star. We need to get on board with her programs. Please sign up. It's pagetons.com. So Don, our leadoff topic is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods. Elite's located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Zip code 30046. The phone number there is 678-377-0270. You can also contact them at elitesportsorders at yahoo.com. Anything you need, bats, balls, gloves, spirit wear, uniforms, reach out to the folks at Elite. They're happy to ship anywhere in the country. Um, they'll be happy to hook you up if you need anything at all. So listeners submitted uh, questions about recruiting. Uh, we're very excited to have a chance to answer some of these. Um, one of the things that we spend a, a fairly consistent amount of time is talking about recruiting. A lot of the people that are listening to this podcast, yeah. it's important to them. And so uh, to have that uh, raised as a topic, I think is something that makes it just that much more meaningful that we t- you know take some time to talk about it today. So uh, the question number one was, as a coach, a travel ball coach or high school coach, when emailing a college coach on a player's behalf, what information should we include? How often should we email? And just kind of guidelines on on the rules of etiquette for a coach sending information to a college coach. Yeah, no, I think that's a good question for sure, Tori. And I think all information for a college coach is going to be helpful, whether it's academic stuff, uh, you know, previous awards, you know, anything that can give them insight as to what kind of a, a hardworking, good academic, uh, athletically accomplished uh, kid that we're you know proposing that they look at. I think is really important. Whether it comes from the coach or whether it comes from the player, I don't think that that's making a huge difference. I like the idea that the kids are being a little bit more accountable for the journey because I think that's important for them to take a little bit of pride in in what's going on at that point too. But really just getting, getting the excitement for the college coaches to get their eyes on that athlete I think is the most important piece. But I do like when coaches also take a little bit of those reins and kind of encourage whether they're encouraging it or whether they're spearheading it and making it all happen i think that's good too and i think a lot of the kids are you know looking for that in their travel ball coaches to kind of whether it's nudging them along or whether it's uh because they've already created good relationships with some college groups or areas all that stuff, I think, can be really important. Right. When I think the, the role of the travel ball slash high school slash, you know, whatever coaching connection you have with the player, being willing to and able to communicate on that player's behalf is very, very important. But I think it should definitely be a supplementary thing to what the player is already right. doing. And I think that if a high school coach or travel ball coach is taking it upon themselves to do all of that unsolicited, um, as a way to kind of open the door, so to speak, to you know maybe create interest in a player that sometimes that can be a little bit misguided because if you're 
you know, reaching out to college coaches for a player and that player might not be interested in that school, kind of wasting everybody's well, time and energy. To be coordinated. Bit, right. Yeah. So following up when a player has, has expressed an interest, when they've already contacted a coach, when they've already started the process, then I think the uh, school ball coach and the travel ball coach, they are definitely, you know, should be doing some promotion, some sharing of background and information and stuff like that. I'd like to hear what they think. Right. right? And I think it needs to be fairly selective. Um, I think it needs to be very focused. It also needs to be realistic because the one thing that is an absolute red flag to college coaches, when a travel ball coach or a high school coach starts off with things like, Don's one of the best players I've ever coached. He can play anywhere. Well, (laughs) Don might be one of the best players you've ever coached, but can he really play anywhere? And that's usually the first thing that sends... This person might not really be as informed as they need to be or kind of you know hurts their credibility a little bit. Choosing your words carefully, making sure that you're speaking towards the uh, things that you know about the player and, and why you've enjoyed coaching them, what makes them fun to be around, what makes them a success. All those kinds of things are very important, much more than trying to convince that college coach that they need to recruit the player. So just kind of supplement the the information, supplement the uh, information that's available to the college coach from the player herself, and then back it up and then make yourself really available to answer questions, that kind of thing. I think if you do that, you've done a really good job and, and you're helping that player immensely. Yeah. And again, sometimes it's just helping give them structure, you know, make a list and go through the list. Are these reasonable schools? And, you know, what kind of timing? When do we need to send them some information? You right. know, when you're a freshman, when you're a sophomore, you know, or do we wait until our junior year and those type of things? But uh, just keeping the kids on track. And, you know, a lot of times when I talk to kids, it's like, yeah, I've been meaning to do that. Yeah, I've been meaning to do that. Set a date. You got to have it done by this date right. and, and kind of encourage them that way. Yeah. And I think sometimes having the adult in the room being involved is a good idea um, just because it, it is going to hopefully keep some structure and some some logic behind what's happening but as a college coach story you don't want to just hear from the adults right oh no 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 yeah. no the, 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 that that's like a kiss to, of death yeah yeah it's important for them to have an active role yeah in it. it definitely needs to be supplementary to what the player is already doing for themselves if, if you're doing it all and they're not doing uh, I, I like much, that supplementary is yeah, a, if, yeah. If, you're, if they're or if they're not doing anything if if they're not willing to do the work i don't think that there's any reason to think that you should be doing the work for them. all of it right, right. Which kind of leads into our second question, which is, you have many players will go to camps and things like that, fall in love with the program, but then not necessarily always, you know, follow through as well as they should or follow up when they when they need to. Uh, and so the question, I guess, is making sure that uh, before we jump into the pool of offering our help, uh, that we're making sure that the players are doing their part, um, you know, making sure that they've already started to invest some time and effort in getting to know more about the school and letting the school know more, more about them. So, so I guess the, the question is, what's the threshold for how much work a player has already done or, or shown that they're willing to do to get a school interested in them before I would jump in and then start supplementing what they've done? Is it the first email that a player sends to that college coach or do I need to let them do a little bit of the legwork, a little bit of the grunt work first, and then follow up a little bit later in the process. No, and I think, Tori, too, it depends on how far along um, we are, how urgent the timing is, right? If we're really ahead of the game and um, we can let things kind of uh, evolve on their own, I think we're in good shape. But um, if it's getting down to that urgent time, then maybe we do need to jump in and supplement their 
their original contact, depending on, and two, our relationship. If it's really easy as a, a travel ball coach, if we've already had some contact with a, this particular coach that we're might be talking about, um, it's a lot easier for us to just reach out to them and say, hey, you know, you need to be watching out for this one because she's really good. Right. Um, and that makes it kind of easy as well, the more familiarity you have there. But I think maybe timing, depending yeah. on how urgent. Well, but I, but I do think the point is that, uh, you know, kind of meeting that player halfway, making sure that they're that they're showing their commitment to the process before you get as involved is a good idea. Just nu- um, nudging them off to the side, let me right. take this. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. all and also just because, as you said earlier, you know, the college coaches want to get to know the kids. Yeah, right. And it's it's nice. It's a beautiful thing if I'm dealing with uh, as a college coach. If I'm dealing with a coach that I've worked with in the past and they've been straightforward and honest with me, and we've had some success and gotten to know each other, it's a beautiful thing for that college coach to have somebody that they know is knowledgeable that they can count on, that they can trust their opinion and all that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is even knowing all those things about the travel ball coach or the high school coach, it's still up to the kid to make that impression on the college coach first. And if players are doing a really good job of that, you know, then when a a travel ball coach or a high school coach comes behind it with that supplementary information, it's much more meaningful, much more impactful. It's going to make a bigger impression on the college coach than than really any other way. And so the the meeting them halfway, making sure that the kids are doing their work first, I think is a really good strategy to use. Yeah, no, I like that for sure. And some some kids, it's challenging for them to to do some of this stuff because they are so uh, sheltered or isolated. Right. It's like a big step. Yeah. So you might need to stay on them. Well, and, and one of the things, this is not really this question, but one of the things that I've seen happening a lot over time is parents are so overzealous and so involved in the process that, that, and, that they'll start doing the work for their kids. And before you know it, they, you know, they're, we're knee deep in the process and it's the parent who's really getting recruited more than the player right. because the parent's the one writing emails and doing a lot of the work behind the scenes, which leads to a pretty uncomfortable situation because at some point in time, the college coach is going to actually talk to the player. Right. And when talking to the player isn't the same as the correspondence and the communication that they've had via email and stuff like that in the past, Pretty obvious then what's been going on, and you know it's not not a not a really good thing. So as, so t- I, as tough as it is, get them in there to right. And and I know it. some kids are just not comfortable with it. Um, yeah. But the thing I used to tell people all the time is, yeah, some college coaches can be very intimidating. If you're calling Patty Gasso or or Tim Walton or you know Kelly Inouye Perez or some you know legend of the game. You know, that the first time you speak to them, you kind of forget that they're just human beings, too. You know, they're sort of these like idle, you know, glorified, you know, people that really feel hard to talk to. But let's say if that's where you end up playing, well, guess what? You're going to talk to them every day. Right. So if you can't talk to them to convince them. May as well get or, it started. Yeah, let, let's yeah. start on it now because eventually, you know, you're going to actually be having conversations with them. And so, you know, try to knock a little bit of that uh, fear factor off of it for them. Another one was, what's generally the best time and way to reach out to college coaches? So one of the things I tell people all the time is you have to pick and choose the appropriate times to really work hard. You need to always be working on recruiting because college coaches are always recruiting. Even in the heaviest, hardest, most uh, serious part of their regular season, they're still working on recruiting. So you can't ever say, well... They're playing games this month, so I'm not going to do any recruiting work either because they're going to be too busy. Yes, they're very busy, but they're still recruiting. Recruiting never stops. It is a 24-7, 
365 every day of your existence as a college coach kind of thing. And so even though there are certain times of the year when they're busier, we still need to keep the fire burning a little bit. They don't too. want to miss out on anything. Right. Yeah. And so you know, if, you, if you're sending a, an email a week during your summer season when you're playing in your showcase tournaments, if you're sending a, an email a week during the fall season when you're playing you know, the fall season when the college coaches aren't so busy with their teams, then when you get into the regular season of the the spring season for the college coaches, you know, then maybe we fall back to every other week or you know once every three or four weeks just to kind of keep the information flowing, um, to keep the uh, you know the player's name and situation kind of on their radar, fresh, fresh in their mind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, one of the things that people always ask is, what's the stalker line? Where where's that line <laughs> when when you've sent so many emails or made so many phone calls that you've become, you know, that annoyance. When you send your home run ball. Right. And yeah. and there's definitely, I tell the story about a player, the one time that actually crossed the line for me when I was recruiting. But I think that's something we need to spend less time worrying about. If you start to be a distraction or a pain or somebody that that college coach really doesn't want to hear from, they'll they'll subtly let you know. They'll say something like, Thanks for your interest, but we're all done recruiting that class. Thanks for your interest, but we're not looking for your position. You know, thanks for your interest, but we've decided to go in another direction. When you get that email, it means that uh, you probably have spend your time somewhere else. Yeah, have, have yeah. invested enough time in that school. You need to look someplace else. And the best tool still right now is email. Emails have to be done very well. Uh, one of the things I would recommend to all our listeners, if you have some time, especially here over the holidays. If you go to our YouTube channel, you go to the fastpitchprep.com website, we did a four-part series about recruiting a few years ago. Now, the dates and the timelines and things like that, some of the rules have changed. So where we talk about September 1st and July 1st and things like that in the Plug videos, in the new date. Right. You have to, you have to do a little bit of research and plug in the new dates, but the content and the information is, is really the, is still really useful. It's, still, it's timeless. Yeah. How to you know, send a good email, how to send a good videotape, how to make sure that you're sending the right information is all in that uh, video series. You can have a lot more in-depth look at it than we can uh, take the time to go into today. Uh, but email is still the best tool. Eventually, when we get to the point where you can have phone conversations and, and actual recruiting discussions, those dates have changed a little bit. You know, when you get to that point, the occasional phone call is a good idea. But email is one of those beautiful things because the college coach can read it when they have time. No, I was going to say too, Tori, that kind of comes to mind for me when you're talking about this stuff, I'm listening. And we used to worry about, you know, over connecting with the coaches, like you're saying, doing too much. But with the portal and the, the movement and the thing, the shifting that's happening every season right now, I think it's as important as ever to really stay kind of at the forefront of their, their thoughts right. when, when uh, they might have a student walk in and say, you know what, I'm disenchanted with the things that we've got going on. I think I'm going to move on. Right. We need to, as coaches, have someone there to plug in. And if you're that person that's been um, you know, expressing an interest in being there, on a regular basis, then you're going to be kind of at least in the in the process. Right. right? Well, the analogy I use in the video series, which I think is even more appropriate now, is once upon a time there was a stage act where you would have this magician type person spinning plates, and they would you know have a stick, you know, a long stick, and they would spin a plate and get that plate spinning. And then they'd add a second, then they'd add a third, then they'd add a fourth, and they'd be running around like a crazy person trying to keep them all from crashing down on the stage. Now the number of plates that each college coach has spinning in the air at the same time is a lot bigger. 
And there's a lot more crashes because of the transfer portal. So being in position to be at the top of their list, on the tip of their tongue, so to speak, when one of those plates come crashing down is a really good strategy. And so keeping your name in front of them is a really good idea. One last recruiting question, which was not part of the original email, but came from a different listener. I've been told that college coaches recruit parents just as much as they recruit kids. That seems hokey to me. Is that true or false? Tori, for me, I would say that a really positive and comfortable parent situation is going to be easier recruited than the opposite, right? for sure. But I don't think that uh, the involvement that parents have is really impactful well, I, well, because, because we separate them. Well, right? we do, but we don't. So here, here's how I would say it. I don't think having a great set of parents will get you recruited. I think having a, a bad set of parents will it get might, you unrecruited. That might be the difference maker, right? Because right. uh, this is absolutely true. I think that you know college coaches are always on the lookout for potential issues and problems if they bring a player into their program. One of the things that I've heard a lot of coaches say over, over the years, something that I know I did personally, was when it was time to make a decision, when I was really close to deciding whether I was going to offer a scholarship to a player, I would make a point of watching them do things other than just play, like how they were in the parking lot, how they were with their parents, how they were in the concession stand, what they were doing in between games, how they were in the dugout. When they they did well, when they didn't do well. And and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that is absolutely on that list of things that college coaches are paying attention to are the people around the players that they're going to recruit. And I think the best way to say it to answer this question is if you're lucky enough to be the player who's got you know those really supportive, really strong parents that are there in your corner that uh, you know always act appropriately and are fun to be around, but you know support you 110 percent, but never cause a distraction. You're a very fortunate person, and that puts you in a in a better position. If you're one of those players that unfortunately has parents that are screaming and yelling and getting after umpires and creating drama and and acting badly. Um, there's a high likelihood that that can get you unrecruited because the and the we're going to talk about this here in just a second. There are so many really good players, and there are so many great players available. The college coach who's willing to take a risk on a great player who's got crazy parents versus another great player who's got less crazy parents versus another great player who's got great parents who aren't going to cause me any trouble at all. You don't have to be a genius to figure out which one of the three and in what order they're going to be recruiting those kids. Sure. You know, the idea that the, and, and to our listener, I would tell you flat out, yes, parents can cost a kid a chance to get recruited. If, if their behavior is of that level, if it rises to that threshold, I see it happening more and more now, and especially because, you know, job security and keeping your job and things like that, you know, there's a lot of coaches it's that tougher are... Tougher and tougher right? All the and time. there are a lot, of, a lot of coaches that are losing their jobs, not even so much because they're not winning enough games, but because the players or the parents or somebody are complaining enough or unhappy enough that it just leads to schools thinking, you know, we're going to try somebody else that's going to cause us less aggravation. So, so yes... Coaches are paying attention to it. I didn't spend as much time watching the parents as I did the kids when it got down to you know that time to make a decision. Uh, but in hindsight, there's a few times I wish I would have. Right. 
Thank you very much to our listeners for uh, getting us on the recruiting topic today. It was a lot of fun to talk about some of this stuff. And we'll be you know, jumping into this a little bit more, I'm sure, in the spring season and definitely when we get closer to the summer season uh, when recruiting is going to really crank up and, and things are going to get going 100%. So our cleanup topic is sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to be sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. It's a nutritious snack that every athlete should have in their bag of tricks. It will allow you to get a great snack, something that's healthy and nutritious, all natural, and goes a long way towards making a ball player a better one. And Tori, our listeners can get their Pinnacle Power Butter at PinnaclePowerButter.com, and they can place their order there. Again, that's PinnaclePowerButter.com. If they use their promo code of EFP10, they can also get a 10% discount. And we're really excited that they're on board with us. Products are great. We've used them and tried them at home. The whole family loves it. And again, hey, congratulations to DJ Conroy. He's the Pinnacle Power winner of the week from our uh, patron list. We want to say uh, thank you very much to Pinnacle for doing that and sending a little something out to say thank you to, uh, to the patrons that have won the uh, contest this last couple of weeks. So, Don, here's my hot take of the day. might be my hot take of the year. Something I want us to talk about. I've had the good fortune here a little bit this fall to get out and see a few games. Here's my outlook, my take on things. I believe, and I've mentioned this just a second ago, there are way more, a lot more great players playing the game now than there was, let's say, 20 years ago. Oh, for sure, right? A lot more. I think the number of really good, very good, almost great players is gigantically higher than it was 20 years ago. A lot of people working at it. But here's the flip side of it, and this is the reality, and this is the hot take. There are no more great teams than there were 20 years ago. I think that's probably very, very accurate. Yeah. And that's the thing that I, I wanted us to kind of jump into today, because I know some people are going to be like, well, what do you mean? There's so many great teams. Think about this. With so, more players there should be, but. Right. But, but here's the example I use. When I first started coaching at Tennessee Tech, I jumped into the recruiting, the Atlanta area, the state of Georgia very, very heavily because obviously there was a lot of great players in the state of, of Georgia. Activity. Yeah. And at that point in time, our recruiting was emphasizing really much the older age groups. You know, the kids that were, you know, juniors going to be seniors, you know, sophomores going to be juniors was pretty much where we spent all our time recruiting. And when I first started recruiting in the greater Atlanta area, there were four great teams. And you could pretty much recruit all the players you might want, all the players that you would need to recruit from those four teams. Right. And it was for a several year period, year after year, some of the faces would change, the kids would change, the order of which was the best team, which was the third best team would change a little bit. But we're talking about teams that every single player was a high level super talented going to be recruited and and yep. almost all recruited to a really high level of softball and now when i go to the tournaments now i'm seeing 50 60 70 80 teams and out of those ridiculous number of teams trying to recruit the same number of players that we used to be able to find on four teams and you got to figure out which ones are where. Right. Yeah. And of those, you know, 40, 50, 60 teams, they're all good teams and they all win some tournaments. And from week to week, each one of them could probably claim to be the best team in the state or the best team in the region or even the best team in the country. But 
it's nowhere near like it was where you could say that every single tournament was going to be won by one of those four teams. They were going to play one of the others in the championship. And whoever wasn't in the championship was, you know, the last other couple of teams out weekend after weekend after weekend. And so what has changed? What's so different? And and why is, where's the rub in this? Because the reality of it is, I think we have 10 times as many good players, players that are as great as those kids that compiled, compiled those four amazing teams. But because they're spread out over 40 or 50 or 60 teams, they kind of get lost in it, the it, shuffle. It, it's all watered bit. down. It's all lost in the shuffle. And so I'm going to throw this one out here for you, too, because here's the response I can hear somebody having in their car. Tori, you're crazy. The such and such team is just as good as any of those teams. That's the best team in the country. Okay. I'm going to throw a little caveat to this discussion because when I'm talking about the good old days of 20 years ago, those four teams, every one of those 60 players came from within a 100-mile radius or 150-mile radius of where we're sitting right now. Right. Now when we talk about the great teams from Georgia, we have six kids from Georgia, two kids from Tennessee, three kids from Minnesota, one kid from Virginia, one kid from California, and two kids from New Mexico. Right. Really? <laughs> and and we're going to try to have this you know comparison. And so to me, that's one of the things that really gets lost in this whole shuffle. Well, it just shows how dedicated those kids are that they'll travel all the way to Georgia to be on a great team. Well, but why do kids from that far away have to travel to Georgia when there's five other kids from Georgia on five other teams that are all better than the kids from New Mexico or California or Minnesota or Virginia or wherever they're coming from. To plug right in and right. Yeah. The hot take is, you know, the old man out on the lawn screaming at the clouds. We have so many more great players. Shouldn't we have just a, so a, many more great a corresponding yeah. improvement in the number of great teams? And I believe we don't have it. Don thoughts. No, again, I think it's exciting that we've got such interest in fast pitch right now that the the numbers, like you said, are are getting so big that, you know, it's it's fun to watch talented players. And when you go out there and, and watch a couple of games, the the teams are very competitive and it's a lot of fun because they can all run, throw and catch really well yep. compared to you're talking about 60 teams. You know, in the past, it was those top four that you could really appreciate, you know, the skill level. Right. But now you can watch really good competitive games all the way through that, you know, 60, 60 game group. You know, just the, the excitement that Fast Pitch has brought to everybody to, to work that hard, I think is amazing. But it does make it extra challenging, both for the college coaches to be recruiting the players that they really could ultimately do the best with. But on the flip side, those kids, um, you know, they've got to be showcased and highlighted in a way that they can actually get seen right by the right group for their highest level of excitement for a college setting so, right and and, and don't yeah. get me wrong i understand that the game has changed and the whole environment has changed you know i can remember back you know this is how how, how long ago we're talking that when cat hosfield now cat fritz who was my assistant coach at uh, at ksu for a while was a high school senior she was highly thought of as maybe the number one recruit in the country and she decided she was the first of the players that I'm aware of that made a commitment to join a high-level California travel team so she could play super high competition week after week after week 
by you know, her and her family making the commitment to travel all the way out there to play. And, you know, they were coming home Monday morning, getting back on a plane Thursday night, you know, weekend after weekend after weekend to make that work. And, you know, obviously, you know, she ended up having a, a really good career. Now it's so normalized for kids to go from, you know, one part of the country to another just to be on a travel team. My impression is that, you know, we have a lot of really good teams and we have a lot of opportunity to see a lot of exciting softball. But I've always been a fan of the idea of trying to take and create the very best, absolute best, most completely dominating team you possibly can. And I think if, and the Atlanta area is one example, there's a lot of other parts of the country that it's true. If you could put all the egos aside, if you could, you know, sort of have like a draft or whatever, like of those players, you know, put them all in a hat and... and we're and, all in one league. Right. And, and we're going to draft the top 15 players and put them on a team. What you could do, the quality of that team, I think would be so mind-blowing if you could just do it. But obviously we know that that will never happen. It was four teams back in the day, but that's basically what happened. You know, for all of us as college coaches... Those four teams had done the first layer of our work for us. We knew if a kid was on one of those four teams, they were really good. It was kind of convenient. Yeah, they had they had proven themselves on the way up the ladder. You know that by the time they got to be sixteen year olds, that they were clearly the best players because those you know travel teams and and coaches worked hard to you know to fight over who was going to get them on their travel team. You know the recruiting for players to be on those teams was the first level of the recruiting process. So we could come in as college coaches and say, hey, if I watch this team, I'm going to see great softball, I'm going to see a bunch of great players, and I'm going to be able to count on seeing them play week after week after week. So so listeners, come at me. I'm, I'm ready to hear how wrong I am. You can, you can <laughs> let me know that you know, the old man in me is, is blind to the reality of how amazing it is now and how I should be super excited that instead of having four great teams, we have 60 really good teams. And instead of days of kids, you know... Is there still those four teams, though, Tori? If we did it the right way, we'd have four amazing teams in the Atlanta area that could win every tournament in the country, if we did it the right way. Everywhere. Everywhere. But the same is true if you could do it in California. Right. If you could get the 15 best kids from Los Angeles all on one team. Right. And the 15 best kids from Chicago all on one team and the 15 best kids from Dallas, and the 15 best kids from Houston. Wouldn't that and, be exciting? And, and, and pick, you know, the, you know, the, what other, you know, hotbed cities we want to talk about. If you did that, if you had a, a league of, let's say, 24 travel ball cities, and you had the 15 best kids from, let's say, a 200-mile radius or 150-mile radius of whatever point in that city, and all the kids came from that area, I think it'd be a ton of fun to see how amazing it would be. But unfortunately, then that would mean somebody wouldn't get to be the shortstop or somebody wouldn't get to be the number one pitcher or somebody wouldn't get be whatever that it is that they or their parents think they should be. I firmly believe it. I think that, you know, it, it's an exciting thing because there's, as you said, Don, so many great players willing to spend the time to be great. Yeah. And really heartbreaking to me that we spread them out over so many teams. Well, again, that's... Uh part of the evolution here we'll see how it all plays out but. yeah well we'll see how it's all playing out because in, in yeah. 20 more years if we're still doing the podcast if we're still alive <laughs> we'll be talking about how you know back in 2022 there were so many great players but you know but you know a lot of really good teams it's just going to be the same thing tori if, if that happens we need more patrons <laughs> 
No doubt about that. So, so Don, that's going to take us to this week's edition of the Action Coach Coaching Tip of the Week. Hello, I'm John Davis of Action Coach Business Coaching. First, I want to thank Tori and Don for the opportunity to share these lessons with you. I think they have a great program, and surely you do too, because you're an avid listener. So, as softball coaches, trainers, and parents know, if we aren't working to get better, we aren't learning, then we're going to fall behind. And when we fall behind, we, we start losing and we miss our goals. So, I've learned this as, in my experience as an athlete, a business professional, a parent, a softball coach, that we need to keep learning, we need to keep pushing our team better. And as we get better, our team improves with it. As a business coach, I've learned some new concepts and approaches that I use for business owners and business leaders, but I also think they apply to coaches, which is why I think it's great that Tori and Don have allowed me this opportunity. So today, I want to share something that those are a business owner or someone in sales is always looking to get better on, and that's how to sell better. But while you're listening to this, I want you to think about this as being a coach, getting ready to talk to our favorite friends, the umpires. How do you deal with umpires? Whether you're selling a product or a service or you're trying to convince an umpire that your view is right, it's still selling. So what are some things to keep in mind? In both of these, questions. Start with questions. If you're talking to a business prospect, ask them what they're looking for. Ask them what they want, want to have, what their challenges are. If it's an umpire, ask them what they've seen. What is it that they see? Understand their perspective. Coming out to somebody with an attempt to understand their perspective is a lot better than forcing your opinions upon them. So start with questions. Number two, have a proposal or solution in mind. If it's a product or service, but you don't lead with that product or service, know what you're expecting to promote to them and how you're going to promote it to them. Same thing with an umpire. Understand what their path is. They may not change their judgment, but of course you can ask them to get a second opinion and give them a good reason why that is. Third, objections. If you're selling to a prospect, anticipate what their objection may be. They don't have enough time to do that service. Uh, they don't have the money. They don't understand. Their team can't handle it. Anticipate their objections so you have ways to mitigate those problems. Same thing with an umpire. Anticipate that objection. For me, anticipating the objection wasn't just to have that answer, but it was also so I didn't lose my mind when I thought that they were crazy. I'm sure you've been there too. Anticipate the objections and have a reason around that. Have a second reason to go back to your first proposal to ask for help or to understand the rule book or what could have been going on. Finally. Communication style. If you're meeting with a, a prospect, understand if they like it shortened to the, to the point or do they want all the details. Understand if they're a people person or a task person. Anticipating those things will impact the questions and the way you approach them. If you go in out trying to be somebody's friend and it's a hard-driving umpire who's worried about the clock pushing ahead and doesn't want to be bothered with the nuisances, you're going to have a hard time. When you have that hard-driving umpire, get right to the point. If you've got someone who likes to talk and be friendly, talk and be friendly first. Work in their tone of voice. So those are a couple things that you can do to improve your selling conversion and also improve your way to sell that umpire onto your side of the argument, your side of the, the challenge. So as you can see, things in business coaching can be applied to the softball field. I'm always looking to spend time with other business owners especially those in the fast pitch community. 
if you want to talk about how to take your business to the next level, then feel free to reach out. We can set up a 20, 30-minute phone call to talk about the opportunities. And along those ways, I'll share five ways to increase your profit. No business or situation is too big or too small. We have programs for businesses of all stages. If we end up working together, you'll receive a 10% discount by being a Fast Pitch Prep listener. And Fast Pitch Prep will also receive a 10% donation. Keep their podcast going. All you have to do is just tell you that you heard about me through Everything Fast Pitch and the Fast Pitch Prep podcast. So when you want to talk about how to improve your sales performance, you can reach out to me, John Davis, at actioncoach.com, or call me at 817-538-8864. Now is a great time to get into action. Have a great day. All right. So I hope everybody enjoyed uh, that segment. Make sure that you support Action Coach and all of our sponsors. Uh, make sure that you support Anderson Bad Company, uh, Bittinger and Styles DDS, Elite Sporting Goods, Pinnacle Power Butter, and Action Coach. Please make sure you go to patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. Become a patron if you can. Coach Don and I really do need the support. Go to the fastpitchprep.com website, order your Square Cuts training discs, and take advantage of the YouTube channel, all the information that's available there, tons of information that uh, we would love for you to share. So for Coach Don McKinley and our producer, Stan Lewis, this is Coach Tory saying thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>